Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 186th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Clinton Cornwell and Ken Nolan. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are just chatting. Matt, me, and Carlin. You are a longtime listener. You will know her. She's been on the podcast many times. She's been on a live show panel. She's a commercial director. She's a film director. She's directing college humor stuff now. She's pitching. She might write a big feature film. And we are just chatting about our lives as directors, the ups and the downs, taking some listener questions. It's a, it's a pretty good episode, I think. Nice little catch-up episode, kind of a classic Just Shoot It one. Yeah, we talk a lot about pitching, which I love talking about. We talk about reels, which you know I love talking about. And we just talk about the emotional roller coaster that is being a freelance director. Yeah, I I think it was really fun. I think it's a good balance. And I think for, especially for people who've listened, been listening to the show for a while, it's nice to kind of get, like, catch up on what's going on with us. And like, you know, again, this is always about illustrating the journey and how long it takes for things to happen. So it's really great to hear what's going on with Carlin. She's made a couple big steps in her career recently. And yeah, so it's been it's been great. Before we hop in with Carlin, we've got a little bit of housekeeping. So real quick, we're going to read some iTunes reviews because that is what we promised we would do. First off, Andrew KK says, a real service to the confused portion of humanity who want at least the opportunity to fail at directing film sets. (laughs) Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. I believe you can do more than just that. Got one called One of the Best from RV Godoy. It's difficult to find actual directing advice and information. I always get great info from every episode. Ah, thanks. Hey, thanks. Okay, next one. Great insights. Five stars from Chuckles Funtown. I have a feeling that's not their birth name. A really uniquely helpful podcast with practical advice and interesting guests. If you're interested in filmmaking, this is a can't miss. Nice. Aunt Jay Fallon says, professional working directors on directing. Hands down, this is the best podcast out there for anyone who directs or thinks they may want to direct in the future. What is unique is that both Matt and Oren and their guests are all legitimate working professionals and that they are open about the realities of the biz while being entertaining and honest. In short, there is a wealth of knowledge on every episode. My advice... Just listen to it. I love just shoot it puns. Can't get enough. Can't get enough. But also, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, happy to hear that because that is kind of the goal. And I think we always struggle with the balance of like being confident, working directors, and being honest about the difficulties. 
in this job, in this career that we've chosen. Braggarts versus sad sacks. Yeah. Next, we got from D. Hessel, completely engaging and consistently relevant. Another five-star review. My gratitude to Just Shoot It cannot be understated. This podcast is engaging from start to finish, very well produced, and keeps the perfect balance between film and commercial production. The guests on each episode are very relevant, not only to the subject of discussion, but also to the filmmaking community. Matt and Warren have found the recipe for an outstanding podcast, and listeners are benefiting from it. Hashtag grateful. Hashtag thanks, D. Hassel. Yeah. Last one. Informative and fun. Five stars again. Jared2117. The hosts are great, and this podcast is packed with all sorts of useful information for filmmakers. Absolutely love it. Well, thanks for the reviews. Hey, if you want to leave a review, go to iTunes. It really helps us a lot. And feel free to plug whatever you want. Go watch my short. Donate to my Kickstarter thing. We'll read whatever you write. We don't care. Write something crazy. As long as it's a five-star review and you leave multiple ones, uh, we're excited. That's not the only way you can help this podcast. What's the other way, Matt? You can go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod and throw us a couple bucks. Uh, Patreon is the best way to show your support financially. If you think the show has been helpful for you in some way and you want to help pay our editors, Sarah and Jonathan or all of the other kind of, you know, costs that come along with running a podcast. Yeah, these microphones don't buy themselves. They you know ain't cheap, saying. that's for real. But also server space and, you know, website space and all that stuff, it, it does legitimately add up. So um, if you want to help us out, it's the equivalent of buying us a coffee. Or if you really want to spend a little extra cash, you can donate at the $10 tier and you will get a Just Shoot It hat. They're very cool. We've been sending them out like crazy and we're super proud of them. Also, uh, the other thing that your money goes toward is a live show, and we've got one coming up on October 20th here in Los Angeles. We're doing a Halloween-themed one that's on horror director, or that's on genre directors. So a little bit of horror, some stuff that's a little more psychological, some stuff that's a little more supernatural, trying to book some uh, more sci-fi stuff as well. It's going to be a fun time, and your money goes toward pizza and beer for everyone if you are a patron you get into the show for free and access to early tickets if uh you just want to spend a little bit of money and you can also just pay for the tickets if you're not interested in the subscription it's up to you but you could get into the show for a buck at the one dollar level on our patreon.com slash just shoot a pod yeah and we'll have more information about that at just shoot slash live and now a quick word from our sponsor Before we get into the show, we've got Zach Lepofsky. He's the creator of Shotlister, and he's also a filmmaker. He's here to talk to us a little bit more about the Shotlister app. So, Zach, you are the creator. You're the man behind this incredible app, and you're a filmmaker, so you must have a specific story. You must have a time when you were like, thank God I invented this app. How did it save the day for you? Well, it's very that's very true. I actually uh, built the app because I made my very first movie, which was actually an MOW for the sci-fi channel called Tasmanian Devil. It's about giant oh. man-eating Tasmanian Devil. An MOW, for those that don't know, movie of the week. Starring Winnie Cooper from The Wonder Years, Killing Tasmanian Devil. We went to college together. It's the best Tasmanian Devil movie ever made. But anyway... Every day on that shoot, it was just one of those shoots where everything went wrong every day, and uh, which I'm very grateful for because no shoot has ever been as bad as that. So, Because you invented Shotlister thereafter. Well, that's very true. I invented <laughs> it so that I could basically manage all my shots and change the plan because every day the plan would change. And there was this one day where we were supposed to shoot all the stuff with the helicopter 
because uh, they fly into Tasmania on this helicopter because they're daredevils there to see Tasmanian devils. Get it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that's uh, pretty good, man. That's pretty but good. But they, you know, on the helicopter day, the helicopter didn't show up. Uh, was it going to fly in or were you? No, it was being, it was like, it was going to be on a truck because it wasn't actually a real helicopter. Like all the guts were taken out of it. So you could like, you know, put it on cranes and like swing mm-hmm. it around and stuff, which was our plan until it didn't show up. So then quickly, you know, the crew standing around and I basically moved all the shots around. I was using a prototype of shot at the time that I had built and uh, rebuilt a whole schedule from scratch on the day. And, uh, you know, we made our day. We, we went and shot a bunch of inserts that we needed and a bunch of other stuff. And actually by like lunchtime, the helicopter did show up. So then we had to cram. Oh, were you pulling shots like from the next day into today? Can you do that in shot yeah, exactly. If anyone's used like movie magic scheduling for like creating a one-liner, it's very similar, but it's for shots instead of scenes. Is there a martini emoji on the, <laughs> the last shot of the day? That's the question. It can actually use any emoji in the keyboard. So go to town. And how is Winnie Cooper? Was she just like showing off her math skills the whole time? <laughs> uh, well, she does save the day with her incredible skills. She takes all the parts of their crash jeep and builds a flamethrower out of jeep parts. Oh, I've done that. And then uses the flamethrower to, you know, roast Tasmanian devils. And the special <laughs> effects team actually built the flamethrower out of only jeep parts. What with a real flame? Well, you know, they put a they hit a propane tank in the gasoline tank, but it, every sure. every part you could see was from the jeep. So wow. she's pretty badass in it. But uh, yeah, check out that movie and check out Shalister. Let's say, you know, $14 for an app. That's like, I need to really like an app to invest that much. Like, is there any way I could preview it for free? Yeah, could you uh, hook us up? Well, I'll do you even better than a preview. How about I just give you a free copy and give a copy to anyone who's listening? Wait, what? <laughs> can't be. That can't be true, right? How could this guy make any money? Wait, but how, are you serious? How would you get a free, how would you give a free copy away? Basically, what we're going to do is anyone who emails just shoot it pod at shotlister.com. Uh, we're going to give away 50 copies every month. So even if you're listening to this, you know, 30 years from now, email just shoot it pod at shotlister.com and we'll give you a, a free copy as long as we haven't given away 50 that month. But then just email us the next month. Yeah. 30 years from now, people are going to be like, wait, the biggest podcast of all time has an email address at shotlister. What do they have to write in the email? Uh, just let us know what platform you want. Either you know, Mac OS, iOS, Android, or whatever platform exists 30 years from now. We'll also have that on your holographic display shot lister. We'll, we'll give you a copy of that as well. Um, well, awesome. Well, thanks for talking to us, Zach. And if you have tried out shot lister, send us a picture of yourself using it. Put it on Instagram. Tag us at just shoot it pod. Tag shot lister at shot lister and let us know what you think of it. Great. Now let's talk to Carlin. So, hey, we are here with Carlin, Matt, me. We haven't caught up for a while about what we're doing. And uh, Matt and I keep interviewing people. And at the end of the interview, they're like, so what do you guys do? (laughs) We're like, we're directors, damn it. So uh, we thought it'd be fun to talk about us for a little. Right? Yeah. What about us? Yeah. Right. And just kind of catching up. It's the end of the summer. It's fall. Matt has this theory that like things are slow in the summer and they pick up in the fall. And it's a it's a hot take <laughs> that many people have. Do you yeah. think it's true? The hot take is that it's not true for Morin. <laughs> really? Well, it, I guess because I do a lot of commercials, I feel like I'm always pitching on a bunch of things. Uh-huh. And there are times where I don't get any of them. And there's times where I get some of them. So uh, yeah. my lulls are when I 
pitch on stuff and I don't get it. And my busy times are when but I pitch on stuff pitch, and I do get it. Are would you say you're pitching more, you know, in the last two weeks than you did all of July? I don't know. July was pretty busy. I mean, August we were out of town. Carlin, I just Carlin's, rolled my eyes hard. Carlin's physical comedy is very, very on point for this podcast. I, well, I'm, I'm saying that it. All right. Well, yeah. Look, it's pretty. Easy. I can, I could say with, I keep track. I've talked about it on the show. I keep track of all of my jobs, uh, like on a spreadsheet with the dates on when I booked them, when people reached out, all that stuff. So you like so, to be depressed? <laughs> no, the other way around, actually, oh. because I want to know when I'm depressed. <laughs> That, oh, oh <laughs> the, consistently for the last five years, I haven't booked much in January or July. There are like obvious trends that are happening for hmm. me personally. Well, let's talk about Carlin. What's your what? What did your July, August, and September look like? Um. Well, since March, I've been directing a lot of college humor originals. So that's been. That's just, just like, steady. Yeah. It's just steady, which is yeah. amazing. Like every once a week or once every other week type of thing? Like once, like every other week kind of thing. Sometimes a little bit more. But um, I'm mainly like right now uh, developing a feature. And then I pitched on this other movie for Disney to write last oh, cool. week, which was Ooh, wild. Very exciting. It well, was pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. We'll get into that later, maybe. Um, sure. No, yeah. we can get into it now. And Why now? was it wild? Well, sorry, just before before you do that, I think really what it boils down to is like the more diverse your income streams are and the types of business you do, the less, the more bulletproof your schedule is basically. Mm-hmm. So if you're just doing, you're trying to staff for a TV show, there's a very clear schedule for that, right? Um, well, and it's, it's shifting more, but, TV, yeah. but still, right? Like people are pitching new shows right now, staffing up those shows, et cetera, right? Like yeah. there, there's more ebb and flow and again, things are dissolving and changing, but like, you know, that's still sort of the case, whereas like advertising has its own rhythms. And so if you're, if you have a steady gig and then a couple other things, you know, maybe your year gets a little more um, broken up. Anyway, Carlin, tell us about Disney. Well, also in this summer vein, I think for features and some TV, people are on vacation in the summer. And so to get all of these people... <laughs> To read and give notes, it takes like it takes time. So the summer's yeah. been a little bit like waiting for notes. But um, the, yeah, the Disney thing. I was like one of three or four people that they brought in to pitch to um write a rom com feature for them. And how did you get the meeting? Uh, my managers. I had met with Disney execs on other projects, and they brought me in to talk about a is this Disney, Disney Channel or Disney. This is for Disney Plus. Oh, okay. Um, and so, but they're like, we're sorry, the budget will be a low. It's like only 40 mil. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, they did. They're like, yeah. it's not like a huge yeah, Disney true. feature. It's like a small Disney feature. And I thought, okay, well, why wouldn't anyone think 40 million is a small, cause they're Disney. Cause I mean, Disney. these, these execs, yeah. the execs that brought me in, name me a romantic comedy that's over $40 million. Name me a Disney movie that's under a hundred exactly. million. The, these execs are on that brought me in are doing Mulan, uh, live action, little mermaid live action. And like two other Disney sure. Plus movies. Aladdin, yeah. you know, and they're comparing themselves with Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess High School Musical is probably like... that. What year did that movie come under out? Under five million. And that's um, a Disney Channel movie. Well, but what Disney movie is a live action movie that's not Aladdin? based on... That's not based mm-hmm. on an well, animated but, movie. I mean, that's the thing of like... What's the movie they read? The one that you've been working on? You're developing uh-huh. with these other people? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So your manager just sent it as a writing sample? 
I think so. I had met them last year. I had met this one woman named Zoe who's like an exec there multiple times. Oh, she brought me in last month to talk about some like female empowerment movie they're doing, you know, <laughs> to talk to me about directing it. But then she was like, we have, oh, we have this other thing you might be really good for. Are you interested? And I was like, sure. And so I was like, oh, that concept could be really, really stupid. Or it could be like a charming, like PG-13 like sort her. of like stay in on Friday night, watch it with your family right, or spouse right, right, right. kind of thing. Yeah. And so I, I, I brought in like, I changed a lot. They brought, they sent me like a one page three X structure of what they thought. And I changed a lot of it and, they're I mean, like, thank you for not making it too Disney. Meaning like, <laughs> did I get the job? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but I think also uh, it's probably very clear to them that you're great and they like you, right? And so they want Carlin to come in. You I know think. what I mean? Like if, you're, if you kept pitching things that weren't true to your voice, they wouldn't keep talking to you. I, I hope so. I mean, I don't know. It went really well and they're, they're hearing one more pitch this week. I think there's four writers pitching on it. But I mean... Do you know who the other writers are? No, I don't. Is that what you want to know? Nah, not really. What I mean, I I actually was it was very nervous. It was my first time pitching like at a studio f- to write a studio feature, and so I was super nervous. I spent like a week figuring out my take, and then I practiced a lot. And I practiced mm-hmm. in front of my manager twice, in front of my girlfriend once, and the got notes and went in there and like kind of crushed it actually. Yeah. Which yeah, I was yeah. shocked because I have bombed some call- calls before, especially for commercials, <laughs> like truly. So yeah, and so I was like, you know, this yeah. could go very badly. Yeah, yeah. And instead, I I went in and I I felt like I left and thought, well, no clue if I got that job, but I felt confident and like you know I when did you did a good a job. job. Yeah, you know when you did a good job for sure. Did yeah. they ask you a bunch of questions and Yeah, so the the, the pitch itself was like 20 minutes. I walked them through um, the characters, the story, and then I had like a five-page leave behind that I kind of like sometimes I glanced at and then I, I left it with them at the end. And then they spent like 30 minutes asking me questions. And how long did you work on it before you practiced pitching it to people? Like, did you just like sit in your place and just like... Right, yeah. come brainstorm ideas with yourself. Uh huh. I did, and and with whoever will listen. <laughs> um, and I eventually was like, I came up with an idea that I'm like, okay, what's a movie? What's the version of this that I would watch? That's what mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out. That's right. Yeah. Because like I'm not, we're not exactly the well, we might be the audience for this movie, but right. um. And is there anything that protects you from them taking some of your ideas and giving them not. to someone else? No. Well, I mean. <laughs> your agents and also like they just yeah. they want if they like your ideas they'll just hire you to write them that's i think that's the threshold of like getting in the room i'm not saying like you know if somebody had like a take that they liked the ending of right sure that that happens all the time carlin's got a million ideas it's fine it's fine i mean i've been on commercial jobs where mm-hmm. they're like hey you know one of the other directors pitched this thing what do you think and i'm like i would never take that idea and then we do it Really what they should do is instead of saying one of the other directors pitched it, they're like, you know, I had a thought and then just say the idea. Mm-hmm. Dude, then they, you don't know you're stealing. Then you're I've, just taking direction from the CD or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Recently I've been on jobs where they literally, and I feel very uncomfortable about this, but they'll email me a different director's treatment on this, the job. Oh, really? That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Before you get the job? No, no, no. After I get the job. Yeah, I've gotten those from producers. No, you you got the job and then you got the other 
you saw the other person's treatment? Well, because the creative, it's a weird psychology of like how the ad agencies think of us, the director, the freelancers, you know, they think like, well, we just want to make the best commercial. So we're going to have all these people do a bunch of free work for us, come up with all these ideas for us. I mean, Jordan Brady talks about this all the time. We're going to look at everything, take it all in, digest it, pick the person we think we want to work with the most. But if one of the other people gave us a good idea, like why would we not use it? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Anyhow, but I'm sure in writing, it's e- even easier to do I, that. Well, also, like, since this is an, a Disney IP, I feel certain that some, at least one person that pitched against me had a, some overlap in ideas. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the most shocking thing. I've, when people email me other directors' treatments, I'm like, oh, they use like half the images yeah. in their treatment are in my are treatment. Are the same ones, yeah. You think mm-hmm. that you're like so proud of like your work and you're like, nah, you just pitch the most obvious thing. The thing I love the most about hiring someone to do like layout and polls for you is when they'll like download a movie and then do custom stills. So they're not all, we're not all sourcing from film grab over and over again. Yeah, but even that, I think happens like i just pitched sure. on this project and we i was like uh kenneth from 30 rock what's his name um oh yeah the actor uh he's what is his name jack mcrare yeah it's like the perfect person for this like this is like yeah. exactly in this in my version and the way i want to go with this and the tone i want i've jack put him McRae. on treatments before and then like two other directors <laughs> had like the same picture of jack mcrare yeah. in their yeah, treatment. Yeah. That's, great. Um, that's really funny it's so there's all these like Jane Lynch. There's like these like certain actors that I bet are in so many treatments. I know they, sure, they only knew. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so okay, so the summer was good for all of us. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Nothing went wrong. Orange uh, teasing because I had uh, a couple pitches that they I got passes on basically. No, that's not what I'm. I'm no, not, no, I'm t- I'm, for I commercials. Not, no, no, a show. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bummer. That's what happens. happens. But the thing is, if they didn't pass on it, then you would have had like a very busy last month, right? Yes, that is true. I mean, we've all been in situations where we're pitching on like five things and none of them go. To Carlin's point, I just got the pass like a couple days ago. Mm. So like, and it took a month and a half to schedule the meeting because everyone's on vacation. Everyone's on vacation. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. It took them like a month all these producers to give me notes on the last pass of my script and then finally we all get in the room and they're like okay when can you can you have this like in two weeks and i'm like, God. You're like, you know, just yeah, like i mean <laughs> yeah but like just spend the 90 minutes to read the script and get I back know, to me guy. i know yeah I know. but you know also that's the case for every other thing yeah that i mean i've on. never pitched anything um where people have gone back to me quickly and my manager who's usually really good at getting back to me Shout out to Jacob if you're listening. He texted me the other day and he's <laughs> like, Jacob. It's like, I love the, the, uh, loving the podcast recently. So maybe he does listen. I don't know. Like I sent him like a treatment for this scripted show I want to pitch and like a week ago, he still hasn't gone back to me. <laughs> and then I, I emailed him again. I was like, hey, did you get a chance to read that yet? And he's like, no, talk to this person. And he like forwarded me to someone else. So, I mean, it's just because it's busy doesn't mean that people are going to give you notes any faster. You're going to get that meeting any faster. Right. Like, I've never been in a situation where they're like, yes, let's make this tomorrow. Yeah. You know? It's dead. It's greenlit. Yeah, yeah. It's always sure. That's slow. Fair. That's fair. I think at a certain level. Phoebe Baller-Bridge said last night, she's like, yeah, I just had a couple beers with these people pitched the idea and they bought it that night. I was like, oh, yeah. what? Well, that's, yeah, that's because she's Tony story too. It. 
Well, but even Tony's story, like he had he had beers with a friend from CBS, pitched yeah. him this idea he had that morning. He's like, "That sounds awesome. Write it up. American Send it to me tomorrow." Vandal? Yes. That- yeah, within but then, the first place they pitch it, Netflix bought it. That is seasons. true. That is true. Um, so, but that still took a couple months to go into those first pitch meetings. You know, because you're always like, "This it takes a few," but maybe it doesn't. I, you know, I think that those stories are kind of. It does take a few. Yeah. For most people, it right. takes a few. Those are the exception. Yeah. But you know, um, Elaine Goldsmith Thomas, who we interviewed about Hustlers, told us that they had J Lo attached to this like awesome script about a true story based on this awesome article. There was a huge bidding war for the art. I know two execs who tried to option that article yeah. too. And she said she, they took it to all these places. They went to Netflix and they passed they on it. They passed with this ca- like insane cast, like an awesome director, awesome script, awesome IP or whatever you would call the article. True story. So it's like not easy or fast for anyone. Um, anyway, speaking of bummer stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So the we next lost thing, half the listeners. <laughs> the next thing I, I want to actually, talk about. I think maybe the other way around. Really? Yeah. Let's all bitch and moan. <laughs> well, I think it's important to pitch and moan. Pitch and moan. That's all. Um, no, I'm just going to bitch. You guys are welcome to pitch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's important to like just talk about how long things take and how hard mm-hmm. it is because I think you know that's valuable also. Yes. Yeah, the whole marathon yeah. of it all. Um, but... Uh, so I, listeners to, of the podcast know that I was pitching this show like a year ago, a digital series called Warigami about these people that use paper as weapons. Um, and first I was attached to direct the show and we started pitching it around. We ended up getting financing, losing financing, ended up getting financed by a Canadian company. So we needed Canadian directors in order to make the financing work. So then I became like a producer and then I became like the co-showrunner and then we went to Canada and we pitched them a show and we sold the show. And then the, there were some budget issues. And at the end they're like, Hey, we just honestly don't have the money to, to bring you to Canada for like six months to shoot the show and do all this stuff. So I'm an EP on it. Cause I, you know, I was in the writer's room. I was in pitching it, but I and wasn't really involved in the production of it, the physical production. And now it just aired on the CW on TV, which is really cool. But I feel weird about it. And I want to talk to you guys about, like, if you've had that experience and then what you, like, do you tell people? Are you like, oh, yeah, I was kind of involved in this thing, but not? I, You know, I, I will say that I think the three of us are all so production oriented and used to just being being there and being in charge of literally every single frame of a thing. And I can't tell you how many executives and producers who barely set foot on set, many of whom literally never do because it's elsewhere, who without blinking an eye say, oh, I'm, I made that show. Right. I'm the EP. I attached this like, actor. I, like, I made that deal. They don't understand that they, like they, because li- they noted things and like they nurtured it and they maybe discovered you and all of that stuff. And they to them and their peers, that's what making a show is, even though, like, they've never called action before, you know? So I think that it's weird for us to to think of, like, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Like, it would, I would feel strange about, like, saying I made a show when I literally wasn't there. But also, if you sold the show 
And then your ideas were the seeds of the sh- the show. And then that show got made into a thing. Certainly you should be proud of that and not shy about talking about it. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, I hate to say this, but we're all kind of like a brand or whatever. Like each of us has our own specific sure. brand of director creator. And that show is like, it's so you Orin, And it feels like, I mean, I haven't seen it and the execution of it, but it feels like, yeah, that's like something, it's like part of your DNA as a creator. So of course you should be proud of that. And but you can be honest about the circumstances. Like I'm not Canadian. We sold it to a Canadian company, so I couldn't direct it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm proud of it. And there, there's this thing I did. Yeah. Well, I guess the reason I feel like I it's... think the more you say the worse, actually. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Because then you're like, well, I didn't get to direct it, but I really wanted to. And you know, like that, uh-huh. then it's like, then you're taking, you're giving away your own power. Yeah. Right. Because I don't want to make it seem like I was fired or something, you know, like I would just the circumstances changed where it just didn't make sense for me to. Yeah. But none of the there. executives who are EPs on shows are like, oh, yeah, I, I would. I just don't really have interest in directing. And I was kind of too busy to do it. Like, no one's producing something else in South Africa then. And I just couldn't yeah, make I just it. Right. Make it yeah, well, yeah. I, I guess the reason I think. But I did a lot of emails and stuff, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> the reason I think it's kind of relevant is because right now I'm trying to pitch this other YA type show, you know, kind of like a young supernatural action comedy show. And I'm like, well, I made this. I didn't make it. I was the, I EP'd this show. See, exactly. No, there's not a single. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't make it? I, yeah. I'm, I'm, you was didn't part direct of the team. It. You didn't yeah. direct it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is making a show? Do you don't think you have to be on set to make a show? That's exactly like I'm saying. That's that what this, you're saying. This it's town not. is filled with motherfuckers. Yes. That are like, yeah, I made on this show. stage at the Emmys last night who never were on fucking set, but they yeah. gladly put on a dress or suit and got yeah, on stage yeah. to accept the award. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you think, but is it weird if when I like send an email and say like, hey, you know, here's my show. It's this. I, I think you say, oh, yeah. And also I EP'd the show that's kind of similar. Didn't right. you co-create it or something? I mean, no, but we de- I developed it. There's one guy, Eddie Kim, created it. He mm-hmm. pitched it. It's his idea. He even shot like kind of the proof of concept, which was a big part of how he sold it. But I teamed up with him and the head writer, and we to yes, we so developed you... it. We came up with the characters, came up with the storyline, came up with the thing, and then I literally went into the rooms at CW at CBC Canada. Like we were there pitching it. And Car- Carlin's nodding her stuff. head. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Use it. yeah, I think you can definitely say that. Yeah. Yes, you should. Yeah, we just don't hang out with suits, and like maybe like maybe you, we sh- we roll our eyes yeah. when some of them get up on stage at the Emmys, you know. Right. But that's a that's a class. But thing I don't roll in my a lot eyes. of ways, frankly. I guess I just maybe think of myself as like a filmmaker, and so if it, I wasn't like next to the camera or in the editing room, I don't feel like I made this thing. You know? Do you? It's <laughs> a dumb comp, but like. Do you feel like Steven Spielberg should have drawn more of Tiny Toon Adventures or something? <laughs> Are you talking about... Uh, what? Um, <laughs> no, you guys... Not Tiny Toon. Uh, Tinamaniacs? Is he, that what you're talking he, about? He was the EP on both of those. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I've never even heard of Tiny Toon Adventures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, like again, Tiny Tim? No. Tiny, Tiny no. Toon. Jeez, you guys, it was a national phenomenon. But, Not in uh, my hometown. Uh, again, <laughs> I think this is an age difference. <laughs> oh, maybe thing. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, have you guys Listeners ever... at home, some, a guarantee. <laughs> it was a phenomenon. <laughs> Tweet it, all of us. <laughs> I, I worked with an actor who was up for the role of the son in uh, There the Will AMC? Be Blood. Oh, never mind. And in, in what? Sorry, in what? There Will Be Blood. Sure. And then, and he was not deaf and they ended up 
deciding there was some deaf movement. They're like, you should have a deaf actor play this deaf character. And then Russell Harvard, who was in my movie, The Hammer, ended up playing the, the son, Daniel Day-Lewis's son in that movie. And so this other actor that I knew was like almost pretty much booked the part before they replaced him was like, I'm never going to watch that movie because I'm pissed off because that was my part. And then they took mm-hmm. it away from me. Um, have you guys been in that situation where you almost book something or like, I know you were up, you know, and potentially up for another CW digital show that came out and now sure. is on TV. And yeah, I, um, oh, like, are you, I know what Twitter does that about. feel weird when it comes out? Like, are you, do you uh, avoid those things or do you feel like, oh, well, if I would have done it, things would be different for me now? Like, have you been up for something that you see coming out and then? I was sort of up for the same show you, but you got further in the process than I did. Um, yeah, so I didn't. I forgot that Carlin and I were both were up for a, sh- a Netflix show um, that neither of us got. Has it come out? It's come out. Oh, and is it good? I watched one episode and I turned it off. You know, <clears throat> out of spite. <laughs> no. Yeah, you, I, I you rated just, it like zero stars. Yeah, I was well. like, fuck this show. Um, no. The weird I mean, thing is when it's really good and you're like, ah, oh, damn. That, is, they that hasn't the right happened person. to me yet, but it's it, happened I'm to me with sure commercials. it will. <laughs> I, there's a, in a certain sense, I remember feeling this in film school, being like, oh, like if the person's awesome, if they nail it, if they were the person for the project, yes, that still hurts, but at least you're like, oh, well, they... They hit it out of the park. They nailed it. That was the right choice. You know, so you, you don't have to take it as personally. Whereas, like, if it's, like, a fine job or, like, you see all the opportunities that they missed, that's a that's a little bit harder, I feel like. But I, I don't know that I've... I think I really get my heart set on things when I'm the originator. And mm-hmm. so, like, it's much, much, much harder to, like, not sell a show or to really to sell a show and then like get close and then things fall apart that's way more devastating that's like a, a whole it's a different ball game entirely yeah it's yeah. like we both have an example of that yeah right? oh yeah 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 i mean i talk very openly about my uh troubled there, exit there's a difference company. between it just falling apart and not being made and it being made with someone else yeah, like the the cheerleading show they made season two without me. Oh, um, oh sorry, that, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And, and you show ran season one and wrote yeah, basically Yeah, I created, wrote, episode. directed it. I didn't realize you created it. Yeah. Was it off your pitch? Like you came in with the concept? They to- yeah, well, here's, they told me we want to do a show starring these two YouTube stars and it needs to be about cheerleading. That's all that I was given. The rest yeah. I came up with. That I mean, that is the exact reason why we should all just be doing union work because that is yeah. illegal, basically. Yeah, because they own the IP. Yeah. I mean, I got like in my contract. Not illegal, but you'd be cashing checks at least. I Yeah, I cashed one check, ways. luckily. Um, I remembered this clause in my contract. Yeah, I've talked pretty openly about this. Like, you know, people could look it up on my website and find out <laughs> what the <laughs> show is. Yeah. yeah. And like I was told I didn't get... I, w- I was told on Instagram through other people that I didn't get season two of the show I created. And I was very, like, kind of a... Like, from your cast. They yeah, were like, from my cast. where are you? We're so we're happy ha- for season two. And I was like, what season two? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a terrible... That's brutal. It was brutal. And I did not... I watched the trailer and I was like, I, I'm not, I, I care too much about <laughs> my self-esteem to watch to this. To watch the rest. And I didn't watch season two at all. I, um... 
I the sh- Facebook Watch show that I show ran last year, I had a run on, and then they like slashed the budgets and basically fired me hmm. because I was too expensive and like just used like internal people and like didn't. Sh- but I, it was basically a different show at that point. Mm-hmm. Like it was only graphics and a person standing in front of a green screen and like. So and it's not online anymore, even. Like, hmm. I think they took it all down. It's weird. So because that, that bothers me less. Yeah. You know. So often you'll have a job that you hate and you're like, this sucks and this isn't good. Why am I doing this? But if you get fired from that job, it's like so infuriating, even though that's so what you wanted. I didn't even want to do season two, but I wanted them to ask me yeah, to do it. Yeah, you wanted to turn yeah. down season yeah. two. Yeah, definitely. I was, yeah, with Miss 2059, I was like, hey, I'll do season two. And they're like, great. And then no word until, again, some actor's like, oh, it's, or the the line producer was like, hey, so, so you're not doing season two, huh? To me, <laughs> and, and I, think, I think this is maybe an issue of experience and digital and, like, I think old Hollywood has a different way of dealing with this. Um, to me, just call us. Just call us. That's it. Just a nice, pleasant lie of like, Carlin, we loved what you did so much. Thank you. We're going to do season two. Uh, we know you're super busy and <laughs> like, we just don't have the cash to pay you what you're worth anymore. We're so sorry, but you know, good luck or, or whatever, something, whatever, something even better than that. Right. Like, and, and they can be like, Oh, to your management, your management is so good at lying to you nicely. That's half their job. Right. Right. Like, Oh, they just went in another direction, you know? Well, do you guys think we do that with crew people and we're like as clueless as they are about our feelings, we are with crew people like you work with a DP and they do this thing and it gets you this amazing job and then you hire a different DP. Like, have you done that before? That has happened to me and I I finally did have a very tough conversation with this this guy because he's very difficult and I told him that. Sure. There's a difference between, (laughs) oh, but you didn't. You didn't upgrade because you wanted something, someone No, he's better. the best. He just is a nightmare to work yeah, with yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So and he or, knows it. Oren's talking about like, oh, you you know, your film school buddy, you guys came oh. up together and then like that shiny they shot new your DP. Short, you got this amazing thing off of it and then you hire. You hire someone who has more experience and a better reel and is sexier, right? It's, it's kind of like the... See, what I'm doing with my... Yeah. I, I have no DP loyalty at the moment. I'm just using so many different people. And you two actually have people right now that you, like, use a lot. So if I... When my movie goes and it, it's, like, 10 mil or whatever... Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so it's interesting, <laughs> actually, because I had a lot of loyalty and still am relatively loyal. But I think when you're gigging all the time, those college humor jobs... You're shooting if you're shooting once a week or twice a, twice a it's month all or whatever. Kinds of different people. It's just like people are busy, and yeah. so like you're kind of going through people and you're learning what you like about them and what their superpower is, and then you kind of are a little more selective. I like having a roster of like five or six people that yeah. you can call on to be like, I know you're so good at this thing, and I need you to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think that the thing is is like when it does come time to shoot like a fun passion project short then who do you call? Because then you kind of owe them, you know? Yeah. I think DP and production designer, those two positions are ones, the longer I work in film, the more I lean on those 
people. Like I used to just be like, yeah, I know what the shots are. I know what lenses just like, you know, light it and hope, you know, just do like the technical stuff. Even with production design, like I'd kill myself over like what the set should look like and art and props and everything. And now I realize like if you hire really good people, you can be like, hey, here's my ideas. What do you think? And they can really bring a lot more to the table and they can watch other videos and make comparisons and they can make yeah. a lookbook and they can and you develop care a about language it with them as much as you do. You know? I, um, and it's harder with someone that you're like, yeah, I'm going to work with you on for one day and never see you again. Yeah. Right. But Carlin's talking about, she's just shooting so much that she has that rapport with more people than she used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have basically one production designer. I love, and it's probably the same one basically that you have. And so if you're working and I'm working and you book her first, like, well, I don't know what to do. And so that's the other problem. Yeah. I have two right now. I have two right now, too. Oh, well, I'll hit you two up. Two is pretty good. Well, cool. Well, I think that's good stuff. Do you guys, are you guys cool with answering some listener questions? We have some good ones. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Our first question is from listener Ryan Hurst. He says, do you think it's a good idea for newer directors to take some acting classes or workshops in order to better direct the actors? Yeah. And three, two, one. Yes. yes. Oh, oh. Yes, yes. Why waste your time with acting? Leave that to the actors. No, obviously. Oh boy. Obviously knowing as much as possible about and every person on your set and what they do is super important. And acting is probably the most important. Yeah, I would say if we've learned anything from the all of the actors we've had on the show recently, it's just nice to be reminded like they all speak a different language, and so you need to be fluent in as many different ways of communicating with them as possible. Yeah, I find even if you're not taking acting classes, it's, I mean, I know this sounds super obvious, but it's incredibly helpful to think of what you would want a director to tell you if you were acting, and you would quickly realize you don't want them to talk talk for like 20 minutes about how you should say some line. Yeah, I mean, I shout out to NYU Stella Adler Conservatory, (laughs) which is accepting my student loan payment still. Um, But I think acting is like so vulnerable and humiliating at times. That is to me what you need to be reminded of sometimes is like how hard it is and also how I often like get excited and you want to give actors a whole bunch of notes at once, but then when you... Yeah. When you are in their spot and you're like, oh, shit, I can't remember all that stuff. So then you have to just kind of tailor, you know, yeah. make things more simple. Also, while people are touching your face, you know, and like adjusting your like wardrobe right. and stuff. And you're hitting marks and you're yeah. making time, timing things correctly. Have you guys ever been in that situation where you like give a bunch of direction to an actor and then they're like, okay, they like nod. And then you realize like, oh, what I just told them was like impossible to, <laughs> to yes. comprehend yes i mean it yeah. happens to me i, I love it when they say okay and then do like the little like wrinkle <laughs> where they're like trying to tell you like i don't really i'm yeah. embarrassed to say i don't understand what you just said or I sometimes also, they'll say you'll give them a note and they'll be like okay and then they do it it's just the exact opposite of what you <laughs> meant for them to do and you're like that didn't work. Need to try that again. Yeah, yeah. My theory on notes and everything, editing, script writing, acting, any place you give notes is like the first note will always make it a little worse. Yeah, uh, that's, that's true. That's probably true. And then adjusting from there is like how you get back to better. Do you two ever do a thing where like I'll just be like, great, let's go again and think of what I'm trying to say 
and give myself a take, like buy myself a take worth of time. Yeah, because especially if it's a longer scene or even even if it's like five to ten lines of dialogue, I have this thing where I would never say this to an actor, but I I think it at the end of a take where like there's something about that that just like felt Mm -hmm. fake or staged or contrived or not real. And I don't know what it is. But now that I know there's an issue, let's watch it again mm-hmm. so I can try to figure out what, where I get bumped, you know? Yeah. I, I probably haven't ever mentioned this on the show, but I, for a long time, had a really hard time. If, it, if a take was on the longer side, I would be really focusing so hard on like being in the moment and being there with the performer that I would think of a note and then think of the next note and forget the first one. So you gotta write that shit down. Yeah, but so, but but I'm also trying to watch, right? So if like, yeah. I'm, so what I do now is I will count on my fingers the number of notes. So every time I have a thought of a note, I just like enumerate it on my fingers, and that's enough to be like, okay, I know I had five thoughts. What was the first one? And even just like looking at the act <laughs> of like looking that's at how my I make thumb, my grocery list at Trader Joe's. I'm like, I have 17 things to buy, and then I just <laughs> count down as I put things in the cart. Really? You're kidding. Sometimes I can't tell. No, it's seven, <laughs> 17 is, a, is an exaggeration, but sometimes I'm, like Carol will give me a list of five things and I'll be like, okay, I know there's At five things. At least you know there's like five. Yeah, there's five things. So I like, tend to just make a like a squiggle or something on the script at, oh, a, at an area of yeah. the script. Oh, yeah. So then I'll go back and I'm like. Like you something. circle a word or something. Yeah, and I'm like. So you're mm-hmm. always holding the script at the monitor? For the, yeah, yeah, Pretty much. yeah, I am. I, I'm a, I, even with like, so you my, don't care about the environment. I think I don't care about the environment at all, <laughs> frankly. Um, we're doing great. I would change there's a hoax. <laughs> um, well, have you guys, so something I used to do that I don't really do at all anymore is I used to like try to read, you know, the script before the night before and just write like action verbs or whatever mm-hmm. for the actors, like in case I'm like trying, like I'll let them do what they think. That what they want to do, but then I will have like a word like, you know, yeah. like tr- try to get him to leave the house yeah. or whatever that I can say to the actors. And then I never, ever like actually read what I wrote. And but it's useful. It. Yeah. Do you I guys like write to, I do that stuff? stuff for sure. Like pre-direct scenes, I guess. Yeah. And I always try to think about like what, you know, just simple stuff of like, what does this character want? And then yeah. sometimes it's surprising when you have that conversation with an actor and you're like, oh, we have different ideas. Why don't you try this thing, mm-hmm. scene objective instead? And yeah. See how, that how did you direct that ass in your short and their South by Southwest and Vimeo well, staff picture? Um, it was difficult because she couldn't see anything or hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of just shaking it sort of yeah, to yeah. get her to move. Carlin yeah. made a short called Nice Ass that stars uh, a giant butt. Yes. And, uh, if I tell, this is never mind. I was gonna tell a really stupid story, but basically, I was I had a lunch with a lawyer recently that my rep set up. He's like a you know an older middle aged white guy, and I go to this like fancy place in Brentwood, and this guy goes, "Carlin, nice ass," <laughs> <laughs> and just keeps repeating it, you're and like I'm looking horrified, at, looking at like this the yeah. hostesses being like, yeah. "I'm having a me too <laughs> moment in front of all these people," <laughs> and then, then he's like, "The short did it." Oh, and I didn't know that he was talking about the short, and I was like, "This fucking guy just keeps yelling nice ass at me." (laughs) That's (laughs) That's the name of my movie. I thought that you understood what he was saying, but were worried that all these people were witnessing. (laughs) That's funny too. Yeah, that's like (laughs) that's maybe better. 
<laughs> you're but, like in tune with what he's saying, but you can tell like that waitress is like whispering to her friend. And it's like, no, right. it's horrifying. Yeah, like, like she, the security <laughs> people. I was just like, don't yell that at a woman ever, really, even if it's the name of a movie yeah. she made. It was yeah, very funny. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Ryan, for the question. So the answer is yes. Take some acting classes. Next, we have a question from Stuart Plemons. Stuart says, I'm a DP director and colorist based in Jacksonville, Florida. And I have to travel to find good jobs, like to Miami and Atlanta, etc. I'm honestly not really looking to move to LA. However, I am willing to for a few years if it would help give me the opportunities I'm looking for and launch my career. I have listened to your episodes on Atlanta versus LA and other podcasts like Respect the Process, Good, Wandering DP, Indie Film Hustle, etc. that touch on moving to LA. If you have any advice, I would be eternally grateful. Hmm. Um, so he, So Stuart pretty much has done a ton of work. We, mm-hmm. I checked out his website, stuartplemons.com. Uh, he, he, there's a lot of corporate work in Jacksonville and he feels like he can't kind of get an agent and get a ta- like do better work because he doesn't have an opportunity to do good work, you know? Let me ask a clarifying question because maybe you condensed it. Is he a director or is he looking to stay a colorist and just look well, for more work as a colorist. I think he's more of a DP slash director. Yeah. His reel that he sent us is a DP reel. Um, but he's basically trying to up his game and make his reel better to get better work. And he's asking if he, if it would help him to move to LA for a little while to kind of like work on his reel. Let me ask you, Carlin, do you think, oh, what are you saying? No, no, you don't have to move to LA to get a better reel. That's, that's not why you moved to LA. But what if... I think, sorry, he he's given us a lot more information than I'm sure, sharing sure. now. But uh, what if you're not given like the like a bigger budgets to work with to prove that you can do good stuff on bigger budgets? Uh, if you want, I mean, I, I like so. For instance, the D, a DP that shot my feature, his name's Drew Daniels. He um, shot this movie called Cresha mm-hmm. that uh, you know yeah, was fancy. made for fifty grand. My movie's a hundred and. and- Played Sundance, South by similar South by and they can. And and now Drew is shooting like Danny McBride. He shot Euphoria. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Drew started out on movies like mine for 50K, 100K, and much less in Austin. This is in Austin, which is a pretty good film town compared to like Jacksonville. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, but Miami's not a bad film town. I don't know anything about the Miami film I, scene. I think there's a scene there. It's yeah. small, but, but it, it Miami but is like intimate. F- five hours away from Jacksonville okay, or something. So yeah. I think he's saying like, is it worth it to move to like a bigger film market to like work on his your reel and then move back to your hometown? It depends what he wants to do. It's like whenever people talk to me about wanting to move to LA or New York, Austin, whatever, it's like you have to ask yourself, what career do I want? Like, do I want what sort of stuff do I want to make? And that that's your answer. It's like, do you do you want to make independent films? Do you want to do commercials? Do you want to do that kind of work? You can be in an Austin, Chicago, New York, whatever. If you want to make studio movies and TV, you move to LA. What if yeah. you want to make TV commercials? Can you be in Jacksonville? I don't know. Probably it's hard. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Say you want to do those things. Can you move to LA for three years? And then, you know do a netflix show and then move absolutely back home. not yeah. yeah yeah that that's the thing kind that of a loaded question but yeah yeah no i know i was i was uh, setting he was setting baiting the, us yeah, yeah, the point yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's the thing that uh bumped for me was like i think you kind of you know there are exceptions for sure and like maybe if you have like uh 
a huge career and you're just getting flown all over the world and you're Roger Deakins or something like that. Um, maybe then, but like there aren't that many DPs and I'm sure we all saw that article about like Roger Deakins and Rachel Morrison. We're like, we don't have enough movies to shoot. Right. What? I did not yeah. see that. Oh man. But uh, Rachel, we've asked you to be on the podcast multiple times. Rachel Morrison <laughs> said there aren't enough movies to shoot. Yeah. The, those A-list DPs are running out of movies. There's to not shoot. enough hundred million dollar movies. Oh, well, uh, I, I, they could talk to us. I, I, to be fair, actually, I've only seen the headline multiple times, so I haven't really dug in on it. it. I love a good headline. I'm like, Ooh, I'm, I'm going to talk about this in a but, party. But I'm going to guess, actually, that because those were the two names they mentioned, those people could shoot, say, Endgame or something like that or the next Star Wars or whatever, but they're not. They're shooting right. like cool indie. Like, Don't you bu- know Rachel Morris? Black Panther. Yeah. Um, I guess that's true. She did shoot Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. No, she was gonna maybe be on our podcast multiple times when she had a baby, and you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, after Mudbound Two, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> but um, the other thing that Stewart told us is that he's kind of this one man band. That's why he is a director, DP, colorist. A lot of times he's shooting, operating, directing, editing, and if he comes to LA to improve his reel my email back to him was that he probably will have to choose one of those things because this isn't really like a one man band type of town, right? If you want to become a really good DP here, it helps if you are surrounding yourself, if you're really focusing on DPing, right? Yeah. It sounds to me like if I were Stuart and I'm not, that's a really important point. Um, I don't know his whole picture, but but you did move to Los Angeles after a, a, decent yeah, career in a different market yeah right? in austin so if i were him i'd move to somewhere like austin and shoot stuff there before making the la move because it sounds like he doesn't want to be in la anyways yeah or miami or atlanta Some, right? yeah 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 that's a good, good i good, wonder good. if the reason that he doesn't want to move is because of family right you know in which case moving to austin versus moving to la i would say just make the jump mm-hmm. you know well but i think what carlin is saying is that Going to a smaller market, you might have a few more opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Fair uh, enough. As opposed to competing for the Netflix shows here, you yeah, know, right. You're yeah. competing for the indie films in Austin. Well, yes, and I think that's totally valid. I think that the thing that makes me concerned would be like that would imply that then he would have to move an additional time when it's time to upgrade again, and like building that network takes a while. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to make friends, and like you know, especially like. The older you get, the less interesting it is to like go out to a mixer or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Carlin, how long have you been here now? I think four years and some yeah. change. Yeah. And you've like put down roots pretty quickly, I feel like. Yeah. I, I yeah. I, I, like you have like I a, a good life here. You have plenty of friends. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my friends from Austin moved here, though. Oh, we all, there was a big, there was a mass exodus. All my close friends from Austin essentially live here now. Oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Stuart had one other question at the end of his email, uh, which I think kind of ties into this. He says, Oren, you mentioned that you have some great advice for DP reels. I'd be grateful if you would share some advice on that topic. Uh, So if we go back to like kind of the nuts and bolts of what Stuart is saying, which is like, how can I make my reel better so I get better jobs? What is it that you guys look for on DP reels when you want to figure out if they're good DPs? I look for movement, mm-hmm. and I look for lighting at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you always need interior nighttime, exterior uh-huh. nighttime. Yeah. Interior daytime. And exterior daytime is great, but at that point, it, there better be like some amazing movement. Right. Or I hate to say this, but like recognizable faces, like famous people, mm. at least makes me think that you've worked on a project that somebody trusted you to be the, the DP on. I would say you could also just have something that feels premium. It doesn't have to have a famous person as long as it feels. Oh, yeah. You don't have to. Um, it just has to feel like big. Yeah. But it helps. Like you could do like kind of a lower production value shot or like a more standard boring shot if there's some someone, something that makes it feel elevated. But otherwise, unfortunately, the DP reel, a lot like an actor's reel, is like one or two bad shots will can kind of ruin a whole reel. It's true. I could forgive one or two bad shots. I think I, the kind of contradictory advice on this is that sometimes I'll feel like they'll put the most flashy or expensive shot even though there's a lot of like vfx or like some drone footage in there or like stuff like that that kind of you know you're kind of like well that's not the best shot in this thing i bet you know but it, like it sort of tries to show off this oh, the, the, the variety of things they've done. yeah and that sometimes can bum me out i, can... I think also you just have to think about what you're shooting you know, right. like if you're looking at a DP reel, that means that you're not going to one of your go-tos, right? And so you're probably shopping for someone with a specialty. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm doing kind of like a action, not sports, but like it's a paintball thing. I can say that, you know, no problem. And like, so it's like, you know, choreography is going to be really tricky. It's like, but you know, so it's really complicated, weird stuff. And it's like more reality but with an action sports sort of angle to it. Right. And so it's like all, a corridor digital video. Yeah. All I really want is somebody with one of those videos. Yeah. But, but reality style though, like it's not, I, they have to know, they don't know where things are going to be coming from, you know? So like you have to be quick on your feet. You have to be fast on the zoom. You have to be able to coordinate and like communicate with the rest of the team, take direction from re- really well. It's like a totally different skill set. Right. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I would go, yeah. I would slightly like give the opposite view too, which is I do think breadth of thing like having cars and kids and aerials and realities type stuff does not, it doesn't bother me if you have a lot of different types of stuff on your reel. Agreed. Yeah. I'm uh, just saying like being able to figure out the things that you do well. Right. What bothers me is the things that really scream out prosumer or amateur. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so amateur is like anything overexposed, you know, like highlights blown out. Um, any Because we're hiring you for your taste. And if your taste where you get to shoot, choose any shot to put on your reel, include something that's blown out. And then I don't think nothing that's overly color corrected. It, it just feels cheap. Because even if you really love that video, but the director's taste is really bad and they really threw too many looks on it. Yeah. You just have to leave it off your reel. And then and just like director's reels, it's like it's shorter's better. If it's, I don't mind a one minute reel with badass stuff on it, but if it's two or three minutes with a bunch of mediocre stuff, I'm not going to hire them. Yeah. Also, don't use like, don't make a three minute reel out of like three videos. You know? True. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, like when I say prosumer turnoffs, it's like the things that a YouTube tutorial would teach you, like super shallow depth mm. of field stuff. Like you, you know, you shot on your Canon 5D or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
like a close-up of a wine glass, you know, with wine pouring in slow motion. Like, it's like, I don't... <laughs> I mean, if unless that looks, it was... If that looks dope, though... Yeah, if it was studio great. light, yeah. like a right. tabletop, like 18Ks, whatever. If it's like a real close-up shoot, but if it's like you did it in your kitchen, right? don't do it. Because I'm actually kind of also looking to see that there's a story told in each frame. Um, and then don't... Like, magic hour stuff is, like, not impressive. You know, like I have amazing magic hour shots of my daughter on my iPhone. You know, like if I saw that on a reel, I'd be like, no. This they can't <laughs> include any magic hour shots? They can if it's like a moving scene, an action right, scene, right. a drone shot, a aerial, like a dolly shot, a Russian arm, like something that shows me something new. But like, don't think I'm going to be impressed because you shot at magic hour. So here's the the big caveat for all of this is that we're all talking about this exclusively as directors. And so we have a very set preconceived notion of what we like and what we don't like. But there are plenty of people who aren't as shot savvy or camera savvy that love that magic hour shot. And they're just like, oh, it's so beautiful. And don't know that like, oh, well, you know. No one, no super experienced producer or director. You're telling me there's no agency producer who who wouldn't be... A new agency producer, maybe, but not like someone that has seen good DP reels. I don't want to talk shit about some of the wonderful executives <laughs> that we've worked with, but there are plenty of people who are very dumb, and or that's not even fair, who don't understand, because it's our job to understand mm-hmm. what makes a DP good and not, and like sometimes they're just going to be dazzled by a pretty pictures mm-hmm. i think when everyone has like an iphone 11 pro in their pocket and instagram filters they will realize like or and you take better iphone 11 photos than 99 percent of the people yeah, in the world photos are dope yeah so just shout yeah. out to orange <laughs> iphone yeah. photos well, they, it's they, called, they, guys the secret unpaid endorsement it's called portrait mode it's like <gasps> all you gotta do legitimately but carlin you hear what i'm saying no they're right? really good yeah they're they're, <laughs> they're so good <laughs> Yeah, but uh, there's no, amazing. No, but, but but I, I think yeah. you're you're forgetting what you don't know. Yeah, I think is the truth. It could be. Um, yeah, and thank you. I, and that you're 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 just your standards are very high, but that not ev- it's not everyone's job to understand what you understand. That's but what I mean. this dude who wrote the question he wants to understand from our kind of point of view, right? Because so the director is, is going to. I think Mostly. our opinion counts a lot in terms of hiring a DP. Certainly, but like the and this is the problem with reels in general. They have to serve no, a number of masters, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a, a DP that I know will crush the job. They are so good, and like they get rejected for kind of dumb reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, like just so, like we get rejected for sure. dumb reasons all the time. Yeah, and I've the last this next commercial I'm shooting and this one I'm up for after that, both of them have asked to see the DP I wanted his reel, mm-hmm. which I'm like, now I'm like, uh, okay, now I'm nervous about the reel. And I'm like, maybe let me re-edit this reel to be right for this person. Anyhow, last question about DP reels, very technical one. What are your guys' opinions on like mixed aspect ratios? Like having an anamorphic shot and then that cuts to like a square shot I'm okay to 16 with it. by nine. I'm okay with it too because I like to mix up aspect ratios myself, so I they probably do too. Yeah, guys, that's the right answer. Yeah, because wow. um, I've seen many I've seen many DP well, reels. Hey, that's it for just shoot it. It's been a fun <laughs> ride. I'm so glad we made the show together, Oren, for the last 
35 years. Trick question. <laughs> uh, no, I've seen so many DP reels where they make everything anamorphic. They take no matter what they shot and they put an anamorphic for 16 by 9. bizarre. And it not only it, is it ruining the compositions that you worked so hard on, but it's also making it seem like you have less variety in your reel. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't fault someone for it, but, it, but we all know that that would mean that those shots are worse than what your original intention was. Right. Right. We're losing information that you put in there for a very specific reason on the day. Right. And if you don't think composition matters, then we probably don't want to hire you anyway. Uh, um, well, Stuart, thanks so much for writing in and letting us talk in depth about your question. <laughs> Uh, I hope, I hope something we said is helpful. I, yeah, it's a lot of. I mixed hope we don't get an email from opinions. Stuart where he says, "I moved to Austin, guys." And like, <laughs> now I don't know what to yeah. do. Yeah, I don't even like tacos. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, get out. Like tacos. Um, okay, so our last listener question is from Andrew Ryan Shepard. Um, so Andrew says, I just wanted to encourage you that you're doing good work for all of us who are signed with companies and getting the chance to do conference calls and write treatments constantly. I'm in a season where I've lost five out of six treatments. I'm triple bid for all of them and I'm bidding against LA talent. I've won one of them. And I think part of the process is knowing where I stand out in a budget advantage and shaping my approach to that. That said, I'm constantly refining my reel and more importantly, how I speak about myself and my approach in conference calls. So basically... I, I think being on a call is it's still a thing I'm working on. Like literally when I'm talking to an agency on a phone call, everyone from my production company is texting me nonstop. It's really frustrating, but the texts are usually something to the effect of tell them that you're excited about the project. Sound more excited, be upbeat. And a lot of time, like the EP at my company was like, Oren, you get like really excited when you like tell them everything that you've prepared, but then when they ask you questions or when you start brainstorming, I feel like you're pacing around and thinking about things and you don't sound as excited and you're, it just sounds like you're thinking a lot. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. But yeah. they feel like sometimes I'm bringing calls down because I'm not pitching things confidently enough, which I, I usually don't because I'm like just talking things out and trying to see if people are into my ideas or not, you know? This is this is a tricky one actually because I I think that I've heard execs talk about like some cool French person who's very soft spoken who you know you're hanging on every word mm-hmm. because you know they're mm-hmm. like pausing because they have a French accent yeah it's yeah so exactly. annoying it's so annoying and then you there's those people that are I don't think any of us no no dig to us but there's those like natural producers who could sell you this empty wine glass. Like my mm-hmm. siblings are like that. You just listen to them talk and they're just so captivating. They're yeah. so captivating. They're, they're just salespeople. And, and yeah. that's not what I, I'm not really a salesperson at the end of the day. So I struggle with this myself. It's I, funny because I, I think of you, Carlin as really good at selling your idea. Like from the first time you were on our podcast and talked about that first project you did of your niece or something like writing oh, right. about her experience. Um, like I was like, Ooh, what's she going to say next? Or what's the lesson? So, I th- I find it interesting that you don't think you're like captivating on the phone call. I think I sound sort of monotone sometimes. Like I'll I'll I'll, I'll I rehearse my pitches a lot, and I listen to my voice on my phone, and I think, wow, I feel excited, but I do not sound excited. Do Do you rehearse your commercial pitches? Sometimes. Yeah. I I um. 
I think that we are all kind of a funny combination that I think is pretty common for directors of like, I think we're charismatic and funny relative to the average population, right? And also like maybe a little in our heads and a little neurotic as well, right? That's that's kind of a perfect cocktail for a director, right? Yeah, we have um, that problem that many people have, which is we really want the job. Sure, <laughs> right. When sure, we're sure. on the phone. But I'm saying even just like innately, like we're all like charismatic and funny and know how to write a joke and also like in our heads about just being alive, right? Right. Um, and we compare ourselves to maybe actors right. who are, pure charisma that's their whole calling that's their whole point right which by the way actors are not necessary i've been on phone calls with many actors that are not good at phone calls sure Mm -hmm. but i i mean stand-up comics is what i'm really saying or Mm -hmm. like sketch performers improvisers so we know plenty of people who are incredible in the room Mm -hmm. and then also writers who sometimes just write down a script and say it out loud in front of people right so so i think we're kind of smack dab in the middle i guess is, is what i'm saying of like the people who are pitching things in general, not just in a commercial setting, but in a, a, a TV setting or something like that. I guess I would disagree. I don't think like improv actors would be especially good in a room. I think the people Bro, that are best in a room. Har- you are 100% wrong. 100%. Okay. I guess we'll agree to disagree. I think the people that are good in a room are the people that have pitched a lot before, like Bill Krebs, who we saw the other day. And yeah, yeah. he pitched us just in the food truck, his new show. Wow. Like it, this other writer I know, Alan Loeb, he, he, you can tell him an idea and he can pitch it back to you. Like Chris Saka from the startup podcast who, you know, invested in Twitter. It's like people that are pitching a lot and understand what sells that are good at pitching. I don't think an improv actor that can pick up, you know, a bag of peanuts and make a joke about it is I, especially good unless they've pitched a lot before. I would say this is all harkening back to the Comedy Central days. What I'm, what I'm really getting at is like performers are good at performing, right? And so that is a, a different thing. I think you're right. Like there's a producerial thing. This is, sounds like maybe Carlin's um, siblings like that are, inspire confidence in an ability to uh, execute, right? And that's one part of the ingredient. But also there's just like the confidence of being quick on your feet and like making great eye contact and like connecting with people and making them laugh and, and getting them going. And that's another part of it. And I, I think that maybe I revealed a bias in my own style that I lean on my previous work to, to prove that I can execute and my charm to win the bid. Yeah. I mean, I, I also know about myself. I, I guess I, I have to, it may seem like on in these sort of situations that I'm good at pitching, which is great. I am. Everyone. <laughs> but if I do not feel confident or if I stumble at all, I I quickly set I can I can you quickly can like yeah, I yeah. spiral and then I like Whoa! and so that's why I have to practice constantly because I just otherwise I, I suck at it. Like I mm-hmm. I'm good at the bullshit. Mm-hmm. But but if there's like part of my treatment which I don't feel confident about, which I I kind of am bullshitting, then I'm like, oh, the colors of this, and then then you can tell. You can smell it because yeah. I'm I'm also like, for better or for worse, and you're a I bad think liar. I'm, I'm a terrible liar, and I'm like I'm like ruthlessly authentic in a way that like is sort of um, 
you know, as, as burn some bridges in a way. But, but you know, what are you going to do? But I think yeah. it's like you have to learn your strengths and your weaknesses as a pitcher and then tailor your approach from there. Right. right? Well, and I think the other thing that we're, we're thinking of people that we pitch to as a monolith of like, this is, they all came from the same school that this is how, you know, these are the way that we want our ideas presented and this is what we respond to and this is what's important. This is what we were looking for from someone who's pitching us. And that's not true at all, right? So like, you know, everyone has their own taste. Everyone responds to something differently. Some people are like not into like, you know, sticky jokes at the top of a meeting and then I'm sunk, right? Yeah. Or, you know, some people are like, well, that that French guy couldn't spit it out. We've got, you know, 16 other meetings to get to, right? And they're not charmed by that either. So I think that uh, to me, I think you just have to be authentic to what you do best. And then like if they can't, this kind of brings it full circle. If they if they don't like what you're selling, there's nothing you can do about that. And you just have to like create as many opportunities as you can for yourself which is why we all moved to Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> or you can have an insanely it, mic drop. good reel and then it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah, you, you, the, you. the answer is be famous, right? I was talking to no uh, a friend of mine who uh, repped a director who was famous maybe in our eyes, right? Then probably the listeners knew this person's name, but they weren't mega famous. They weren't a household name. And now they've made some very big movies, some giant movies. And that person who, you know, literally is like making eggs while they're like on their client call for this commercial job that they could take or leave. It doesn't really matter. And they're booking nonstop. Because they directed Spider-Man. Although, to your point, I do think... I do better when I have the attitude of take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. So like when I went into the Disney pitch, I was very lucky because I'm up for like two Quibi shows right now, like one to write, one to direct. I have my feature in development. I was like, you know what? I don't actually need this Disney job. I want it because like it's fucking Disney. It's cool. I would write the shit out of this movie. Can you curse this much? I don't know. Sure. (laughs) But but I did kind of go in thinking like, you know what? They'd be lucky to have me write this. And now I don't know if I got the job, but I do <laughs> that think- That doesn't change the fact though, right? Right. It doesn't change the fact. And I think that like, there's also something to the idea and we've all heard this, but it's worth repeating. It's not necessarily what you say. It's how you made them feel. And that is the kind of thing that I think, I don't know if you can, I guess you can teach that. I don't know. I'm also from the South. Like I'm from a family of like warm Southern people. And I think- I did grow up with that skill of just being able to connect mm-hmm. with people, which is yeah. I think us northern, well. our, us southwesterners have no idea. Absolutely how to do not. It. But yeah, but I just... think it brings up an important point, though, that like maybe you did, maybe you're not charismatic, right? To put it bluntly, mm-hmm. um, right? You're That's not talking about Carlin. You're saying <laughs> no, no, no. you. The, I get you, the, the point. The general. <laughs> I'm saying to the Lawrence listeners at I home was. might be saying like, "Hey, you know, I." I'm not good in the room. What do I do? Yeah. Right. Like that's really what we're getting at. Um, or on the phone. Or on the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phone calls are hard. I think so in hard. person yeah. is so much better. Yeah. yeah. You can just read someone's expressions. Yes. Like, do they like it or not? You have no idea unless they're laughing out loud and off mute. Oh, right. Oh, so oh. can I give you? So can I give two tips about phone no. pitches? Um, Matt, may I give them to you? Um, <laughs> So number one is, it's exactly what you just said, is nine times out of ten, the people you're pitching to are 
have you on mute. Mm -hmm. So that means you can't hear them reacting to your jokes, to your ideas, to anything. So you got to resist the urge to repeat yourself until you hear something from them. <laughs> that is uh, such an... Have you done that before? That's very yeah. funny. Uh, like I'll say yeah. something, I'll make a joke and no one reacts. And then I'll be like, because of this. And then I'll explain it. Then I'll say, make another joke. I'm like, anyway, I guess you guys aren't that into it. So let's move on to the next thing. And then you could hear them take so themselves funny. off mute and like... And they're like, no, no, courtes- we're into it. Thank you. Cur- courtesy. <laughs> yeah. That um, is so funny. So, but just you have to be your own person that's like laughing at yourself and you're reacting to yourself and just just be confident in what you're saying and keep going and try to not ramble on too much which is a problem i have especially when i'm not getting any reaction like the worst thing to say is like are you guys still there (laughs) Uh, which is something (laughs) i say on every other call (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so my my other tip is from david kwan who's the uh, other ep at superlative the company i'm with um he, I call him the pitch whisperer because he's like, he's the guy that's texting me like more excited, more this, tell him, thank you. Tell him you're excited. He like set up the beginning of a pitch to me, the best, like it's the best metaphor I've heard, which is he said, let's say somebody has hired you to paint, paint a portrait of them or their dog or or some, some really important portrait, their family, they gave you a photo and they want you to paint it and they want you to put your own spin on it. And they're paying you a lot of money and they, it's a really big deal to them. And you just spent like three weeks painting this and it's something that you've worked really hard on and you want them to really like, like, would you just like walk up to them and be like, Hey, here's a, here's the painting. My work speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Or would you come and have it covered up and put it on easel and have them all sit down and say like, Hey, you know, I've spent a lot of time in this. I got the best oil paints. I really thought about a lot of the composition. I know how this is going to hang up here above your mantle and it's going to be a part of your life. And so just know it's like really important to me. And I'm really excited to show it to you. And I can't wait to see what you guys think about it. And here it is. And you uncover it. And he says, huh. I like that. yeah, like when you go to, when you spend all this time working on a treatment for someone, like taking their idea and making it your own and building on it and stuff, like when you pitch it, don't just like throw it away, like show them how excited you are and how much time you've spent with their baby uh and it'll get them to kind of listen to you you know in the beginning yeah i i think there's a lot of wisdom to that while you were telling the story i was like i just want to unfurl the painting that's why i got into this this. is why yeah that's why i don't have a commercial driver (laughs) (laughs) yeah no but just so so but but you're right tell them why they're gonna like it and then they'll like it Not better. why they're going to like it, but why you're excited to show them what you worked on. Well, which is kind of the same thing, though. I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, sometimes it's nice to be like, oh, you know, you probably didn't realize this, but, uh, you know, I imported these paints from Italy and they're made by the best, blah, 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 blah. And this is why that's special. Like, they, things that they maybe wouldn't pick up on if you just took the curtain off of the painting and said, isn't this great? Yeah. Well, right now, my calls, my second calls with agencies usually start with something to the effect of, hey, you know, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this today because I've been working on this all, you know, over the the whole weekend. I thought a lot about it. I've had so many ideas and I think this concept is so awesome and hilarious. It, it gave me like a million ideas and I know that that's like why this is like a lasting campaign, you know. And so I'm going to tell you about like kind of the, the ones that I'm most excited about first. There's, I'll, I'll always kind of start mm-hmm. like that. You know, yeah. Because I want them to know that it's important to me. I guess um, I always try to also 
take something from my own life and relate it specifically to me. Yeah. Because they want you, they want to know that you're the only person who can do this. And I feel like the easiest way to make that clear is that like how you personally connect to right, them. Yeah. And sometimes I've just made that shit up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I mean, some- that's better than me. Like, oh man, I grew up loving cheese. I, I I love cheese. I I eat cheese every morning from ages <laughs> seven to nine. <laughs> right, but, specifically Tillamook. But part of that that is like like when you're pitching on a Tillamook campaign, part of it is like it's so funny now that I'm working on this treatment and this campaign, and I I went to Trader Joe's and I just saw all this Tillamook everywhere, and I just bought it and I tasted all the different things. And I invited my friends over and I talked to like my you know significant other about it like i like the more you talk to them about how you've in invested your life into their thing that they care about i think the better but the other thing so that's and it it shouldn't be it's not groveling it's like really like trying to understand where they're coming from yeah because if you fake it they can tell yeah but the other thing which almost sounds like the opposite and i i think this is true for pitching tv shows pitching movies pitching commercials everything convincing your friend to go camping with you, whatever. Um, And something I've just kind of realized is that you just really have to prove to them that you're the expert at whatever you're going to do. Because I've seen so many people pitch shows and pitch ideas and pitch commercials. And they're like, Hey, yeah, I have a little, like we were just talking to a friend of us. Hey, I have this little podcast and I'd love to, you know, tell you guys about this thing. When in reality, they have like this hit podcast that's been on for like four years that has all these fans and, you know, like when you are, tr- remember that you're trying to get them to hand something off to you to take the reins. They're not doing you a favor by giving you this job. And so you just, no matter what, you need to show your expertise on the matter, whether it's eating cheese or whether it's choosing lenses or shooting in Florida or whatever it is. So um, I think that that's really important. And then at the end of the day, yeah, the creative director's nephew is going to get the job anyway. So fuck them all. <laughs> Um, well, anything else to add about calls? I mean, we could talk, we can do a, a whole episode about calls, but I yeah. think, uh, it might not be relevant to a lot of our listeners. So, yeah, I think that what, what Andrew is talking about is, is really interesting because it is a really important part of the whole thing. It can't be too calculated, right? Like I think the answer really is be yourself, but if you were, if you're aware that you're not though you don't come across super warmly on the phone, that can be a really frustrating thing to hear, you know? Um, and so listen, and also don't be afraid to say like, Hey, that's my, what I think. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. I, I, it makes me think of when I was at comedy central, I remember very often not feeling totally capable of hanging with my coworkers And it was all because of business acumen or like a fratty mentality or that cool kid, perceived cool kid sort of mentality and had nothing to do with taste. Like I knew I had solid taste and I had like, especially back then, a pretty deep knowledge of comedy. Like I knew basically every single stand-up and had seen, like, like could do like bits from most of their acts for like that 10 years. Like I knew stand-up comedy super, super well. So what, what, there was no anxiety about that right. stuff. You can do as many lines of Coke as they I do. mean, <laughs> not literally, but yes. Yeah, you know, like there was that anxiety of like not being able to hang out with people 
in that way. And I do remember intellectualizing it and thinking about it and thinking about, oh, what shoes do they wear? Or like, how do they present themselves? How is it that they're so relaxed in this circumstance? You know, it can be intimidating, basically. And like, you know, I thought about it and studied it and, and decided what, how I wanted to present myself on my own terms, you know? But I guess what I'm saying is that I understand the self-consciousness that you can maybe take and bring to the table. And like, the more you can work to just trust your own instincts and like, lean on your own innate abilities, whatever they may be, you know, maybe that's really strong visuals and pointing those out in your treatments really often or whatever it is, you know, like, and that I think just comes with experience. So I guess I hear why you're thinking about it so much is all I'm saying. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing just fine, Andrew. Yeah, it's just such good practice. We we joked before that I, I said that I bomb, really bombed some pitches and I've never learned more than bombing pitches. What did you do to bomb the picture, pitches? Well, um, I rambled and I didn't sound confident on one of them to the point where the producer said, uh, it doesn't sound like you really want to do this project. So, Did you want to do the project or did you want money? I wanted money. Yeah. I wanted money. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> and it was very embarrassing. And then the other one, I was, I think I told the story, I was like in the airport in Cancun. <laughs> even seen the treatment and I was just completely making it all up and I'm a bad liar and they could tell that I was making it all up and I sounded crazy and um but I learned so I really learned so much from those two experiences that I while I have some PTSD that has caused me to over prepare mm-hmm. failing is so useful I, yeah. you know so like if you bomb a pitch you'll learn more doing that than doing it well yeah so I don't know yeah it's worth and- pointing out and like Carlin mentioned, like pitch to anyone that is willing to listen to you. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Even my movie, I talked to it. I just talk about it with people so much that I've kind of learned like, mm-hmm. what are they, what, when do I lose them? When, what, how, when do they lean in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really not about them. It's about you feeling your own rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cool. Well, thanks for Writing in, Andrew, if uh, you have a question for us, email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. We are very excited. Or you can call us at 1-262-SHOOT-1. I think that's it. (laughs) Leave us a voicemail. Oh, we've always had a phone number. We've only had it for three years. Well, cool. You guys want to do some unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Um, Yeah. pretty good, Carlin. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad, Carlin. So I am assuming a lot of our listeners are freelancers or people that are like on the go or busy or don't have a lot of money and they get hungry sometimes. <laughs> Something I had for dinner tonight. <laughs> are you going to endorse ramen, Oren? <laughs> no, close. So the new, my new ramen is uh, canned chili. I'm, oh, no. <laughs> I just get a can of chili at Trader Joe's. I have, whenever I'm just like needing to eat something real fast, put it on the oven, put like a bunch of sriracha sauce in it. Throw in like some broccoli and cheese. I have been on the phone. Carlin's just like, Carlin, come back. No, Carlin. Oh, it's so delicious. This Finish is the podcast with us. Please we want, don't leave. This is horrifying that you just uh, recommended that. Recommended chili as an yes. alternate to ramen. Just uh, what? <laughs> what's your quick snack that's like delicious, hearty, makes you feel good, has some protein, vegetables, well, and is delicious? Um, 
I uh, I don't want to talk about this. This is not what I can't. <laughs> This is what makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> Look, I, I sometimes put almond butter on rice cakes. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. That's, That's why. That's but good. I'm talking about dinner. My go. I mean, I don't. I don't know, man. My dinners like I go to Sweet Green. I don't know. I live in L.A. <laughs> Okay, well, I think you should try chili. They have vegetarian chili. Just, you can mix it with some macaroni and cheese, chili mac. I'm It'll just, I don't sour eat cream. like that. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an adult woman, you know? <laughs> you have a five-course meal every night? Matt, Carlin, you guys have anything? Uh, wait. Uh, yeah, I've got a, a great one, too. I'm also um, going to double down on the AirPods. They're amazing. Really? Yeah, I just keep liking them more and more every day. Yeah, I want to give those a shot. And I they work with my yet. laptop, too. If I'm, like, at a coffee shop and I want to watch a video, I'm just like, boop, boop, pop them in. So, Sounds like a good boop, boop. Um, Carlin, what you got? Well, I already told you how much I love Hustlers, so shout out to Elaine, your oh, guest. Hustlers, that was, movie. A, was that on the show? Uh, I don't think she mentioned it on the show. She yeah. didn't talk about Hustlers? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I don't think you, you mentioned it. We were just talking before the show started. Before oh. we started recording. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved Hustlers, the movie. Cool. And did you also like Stranger Things? Another thing everyone's I already seen? I have definitely not seen season three of Stranger Things because I'm unique. I <laughs> uh, don't want to watch it. Um, uh, oh, I have another one. It's Succession. A- Oh, Fleabag, lo- Dead to Me. Okay, yes, all Succession. these things. Succession is amazing. It's amazing, yeah. But that's not mine. Mine was going to be this productivity tool, because you all know I love them productivity tools. Sure, hit us. <laughs> called Pomototo, Ooh, and it's based on the it. Pomodoro technique, which is the 25 minutes of focusing and then a break. Uh-huh. It's like the science behind like how long you can focus, but it's like a Chrome extension or an app. And it sets a timer and it, it like, you know, it gives you 25 minutes and then you can also type to-dos in. So if you're, you know, when you're focusing mm-hmm. on something, you're like, oh shit, I have to like go to the bank. So you can write that in mm-hmm. and then it gives you five minute breaks and then it tells you like you did six Pomototos today and you're like, wow, pat on the back. I did three hours. Yeah. So it, it's spelled like it sounds basically. P-O-M-O-T-O-D-O. Oh, I will oh. definitely get on that. I'm pretty sure it's called Pomo to do, but okay. It might be. <laughs> this, is, this is true. I don't know what, how it's pronounced. So, yeah, but I'm in a rewrite phase I right like now. I like Pomototo so much I mean, more, right? and I'm going to live, live with that forever. It's and the Pomodoro thing and a to-do list together, and you call it Pomototo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like quirky Japanese. Yeah, I love it. Um, um, can I say one more just real quick and un- unbelievable on Netflix? Oh, yes. I'm oh, I don't think it's it. What is the show? Unbelievable? The one about... Um, a rape case and it's told from like multiple cops sort of points of view is it a documentary or it's is an it... eight part limited series Allison Janney but what stuff mm-hmm. is it haven't seen her much lately so it's it's fictional yes or it's sort of scripted I guess is mm-hmm. what I mean yeah cool unbelievable sounds mm-hmm. good um well my unpaid endorsement so my uh, sister-in-law's birthday was kind of a while ago and she uh booked a cupcake decorating uh, like class at like the uh, cake shop, uh, you know, in Beverly Hills or whatever. Uh, Duff's, he's you know, a famous chef. Anyway, they give you just like a bunch of like fondant and like sprinkles and stuff, and like they have like buckets for, um, you know, rolling things out or like carving tools or whatever. Uh, and it was really fun. But the point is, I told, I promise I'll get there. Um, I had no, uh, ambition to be good at decorating cupcakes. 
and but it's still like a quiet meditative like fun artistic endeavor i just had fun and i didn't have any misapprehensions or guilt or or issues about like being great at it right whereas most of filmmaking you kind of need to be good at like things that maybe you're not super well trained at like i'm not you know we've talked about all the time like we don't know makeup or wardrobe or certain things really well or construction you know but you have to be conversant in that stuff and so it adds a level of pressure that like i really enjoy and like but had forgotten the fun of just like doing an artistic practice without caring at all about whether or not you're good at it. Right. This and is so, from a guy that hosts an annual pumpkin carving party. Sure. That is true. Which that is, is true. pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so my endorsement is find an artistic endeavor that you don't have any, anything wrapped up in. Just like, don't worry about being good or bad at doing like doodling or cupcake decorating or carving a pumpkin, whatever Blank, it is. Know. Yeah. Yeah. But even even that, because we we have to be a little musical, you have to like understand sound and all of that stuff. It can it could it would be easy to like start thinking about work a little bit. So like something that's separate from work. That's why I play tennis. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's another version of have a hobby. Mm-hmm. But right. like napping, even Does that count. Do you want to get better at tennis? Well, f- yeah, of course. I right. love to win. Right, of course, which is good. But that's a that is a different thing than what I'm describing. Uh, right, you're describing a hobby that you're purposely trying to not be. But good I've at. never yeah. done something that I don't want to be good at. Mm-hmm. So that's unre- I have to have a hard time relating. But if you went so I'm if you went cupcake decorating, have to be the best. It's not like I didn't do. Carlin, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you would like just totally kill being in jail. I would be like you would, the low key. Boss yeah. of the jail. You would poop run, in your pants. You would run the jail. You, you would have like a, a side business of like importing and exporting. They make a show about this. You'd also dig a cool tunnel. It Absolutely. would be awesome. I'd have lots of girlfriends in jail. Yeah, there you go. Be, there really. you go. Yeah, you would just, you would basically crush every aspect of it. But then you'd be like, ah, I'm so like just uh, caught up in all of the different aspects of being jail. I just should be a poet or something as well. Yeah. I should just be you know a cake say. decorator. <laughs> Jail is the new cupcake decorating. This is a great recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool. Carlin, what's that? Do you, there's nowhere you like post what you're up to or anything. My Instagram, kind of. At Carlin. Is it, no, it's Hey Carlin, right? That's that's my Twitter. Hey, oh, my, I'm impressed. That, uh, that's a, I love a hey is like a good prefix. Yeah, for, Hey yeah. Carlin is Twitter and Carlin Hudson is my Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Mine is Hey is for horses. On Twitter, beers for men. <laughs> um, well, cool. You can uh, follow us on the show at Just Shoot It Pod across all social media. We have a website, justshootitpodcast.com, where you can find out about everything we talked about on this show. I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. Uh, this episode was edited by Jonathan Luna. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Chazar. Thanks for listening. Review us on iTunes, please. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.